So would you guys give it up for John Christensen? Amen. Thanks so much, Trav. So good to be here with you guys here today. I actually know a ton of you. I was like, I didn't know who was all part of this class and who was not. And I kept coming in. I'm like, hey, I know you. I know you. I know you. So it's, it's a joy for me to be here. My computer also decided to run out of batteries. Both batteries literally die in about 10 minutes, so i got to plug in here. Or else I'm going to be out of power. But uh, it is great to be here. You know, I... I have been married for eight years now. Uh, we're in our eighth year, which is awesome. Met my wife at Bethel University. How many of you know what PSCO is, post-secondary education? So I was in my senior year of high school. She was in her senior year of high school. We met each other, and I actually have my first memory of her playing broomball. Do you guys, do you guys know what broomball is? Who, who can explain what broomball is? This is a, this is a class participation thing. Who's got it? Dangerous, that's, that's the only word you need. <laughs> Just, no, it's, it's not too bad. Well, it is on ice and you slip and fall. And so, we, yeah, you play it on hockey, essentially hockey without, uh, without skates. Do we, have, do we have power? Do we have... Uh... Oh, there we go, we're up. We are power, Scotty. Awesome. There it is, okay. Great, great. I also was uh, coming in this morning and seeing all of you guys, and I realized, wait, I didn't put any pictures of my family in my, in my PowerPoint. Like, that's, that's probably not a good policy. So I quick grabbed some on my phone, and I realized I don't have any pictures of my wife, me, and all my kids together. And so that, that's my wife with Titus, our youngest boy, and then that's Evangeline and Titus laying next to her. But that's, that's the fam. They would have loved to be here today, but Titus was a little bit under the weather, so, so we couldn't, uh, actually Evangeline was under the weather too, but uh, they, they couldn't be here today. But that's my family. Again, met my wife at Bethel University. We dated for a number of years. I love that love letter question. I don't know where Travis is. Where, there he is. Uh, we, we, did, we did long distance for the first year, and so we wrote letters to each other. She was at a Bible school in Montana. There was no cell phone service, and so literally the only, only way we could like correspond uh, was through letters. So that was fun to, to start that way, and it was a time where we really got to um, grow deeper in a way that not many people do nowadays, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, today we're going to be talking about this topic of strengthening your relationship. As, as Travis mentioned, we are in, in week uh, four here, and I hope you guys have enjoyed the previous three weeks. I've heard great things about what the, the speakers have said and, and what they've gone through, and ultimately, the best, the best authority that we have is not being married for so long or having all these things, but ultimately, what does the Word of God say? And so that's, that's what we want to stand on here throughout this whole class, not only today, but throughout the entire eight weeks. Can I just ask, too, do, do speakers normally, like, come, are they usually up here? I feel, I feel like, really, like, over, like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling with, the, with where, where to stand here. But we are talking about strengthening our relationship here this morning, and it really is in two facets. And you guys will see this come out uh, today, but one is in spiritual intimacy, and that's really what I would call the, the vertical relationship. And then second, it's intentional pursuit, which is the horizontal relationship. And so talking about pursuing vertically, pursuing the Lord, and then pursuing horizontally your significant other, spouse, whatever they may be. 
So the first, the first part that we want to talk through is this idea of spiritual intimacy. And really the idea is that it is not just you and your spouse, but that when you include God, it's actually a, a triangle. There's, there's three people involved in this relationship. And that as you and I grow closer to God, we actually grow closer to our significant other. And that's the vertical relationship that we're going to be talking about here today with this, this spiritual intimacy. And I think that this is probably the number one reason that the Christian marriages fail. is because in their walk with the Lord, their personal walks with the Lord, they have neglected to let the Lord do heart surgery on them, to change them, to help them grow, to convict them of where they're wrong in certain situations. And so this is so vitally important in our lives. And I, I like the analogy of, of whatever doesn't grow is going to atrophy. And so when we think about strengthening our relationships, whatever, whatever you don't use is not just going to stay the same. It's either going to atrophy or it's going to grow with use. And we know this like from muscles. Even like just your daily use of muscles keeps them where they are. If you just sat in your bed for the next week, you'd be a lot weaker. And it's the same thing if you neglect your marriage or your dating relationship for time, it will be weaker. And same with our relationship with the Lord. And so as we think about strengthening our marriage, you know, one of the things that I always encourage people to do is, you know, how do we do this? How do we strengthen our, our marriage? And I think the first thing is we go to the one who created it. Like if you or I are trying to put together some, some project, or I think when I was little, I'd put together a Lego set. Like I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't just start building it off of the cover I would look at what do the instructions say, what did the creator who created this set say on how to build it? And so when we go to God's word, when we go to the Lord, what we're saying is, Lord, how did you design this? What did you make this for? And ultimately, it's where we should go for answers in our marriage. Matthew 7, 24, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew. And if you have been married or are about to head into marriage, the rain will fall at some point. <laughs> the floods will come at some point. But Jesus says, they beat against the house, the winds blew, but the house did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. And conversely, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That Christ has to be the bedrock of our marriage and our lives, or else when the winds blow, we'll be like a house built on shifting sand. And so how do we do this? What does spiritual intimacy look like? Well, first of all, spiritual intimacy in the context of marriage is defined by growing together, or together growing, as they have it in, in your book, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they, they listed two general steps. I broke it up into three, just because as the, uh, as the guy who's speaking, I can, I can do that. So I saw, I saw knowing, I saw recognizing, I saw, and I saw seeking. I'm like, that's three points, not two. I don't know how I'm going to make that into two points. So I made it into three. So I scratched out two general steps and put three general steps in my book. But uh, this, this knowing Jesus as your Savior, recognizing your dependence on him, and seeking to grow in your relationship with him. And we're going to unpack these one at a time. 
The first one is talking about the, the foundation of our spiritual intimacy is, is knowing Jesus. You know, in, in your books you see that, uh, that verse that says, you know, Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And that is the most important question, how you and I answer that is the most important question and answer of any of our lives. Because so many people answer that in a way that proves they don't actually know him. And Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount as well, he said, many will come to me in the last day and say, Lord, did we not do many miracles in your name and cast out demons in your name and do, and do great works in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. And it's this question of do I know Jesus is the biggest question that you can ask in your life. And I hope that many of you do here. I hope that many of you can answer that, yes, I know him. And not just know about him. You know, there's, there's a difference, I think, between knowing about someone and knowing someone. You know, just, just to pick an example of, of a famous person. You know, I, I could say I know the president of the United States, but I don't really know him personally. I actually know about him. I could tell you a bunch of facts about him. All, this sorts of, all sorts of stuff, but ultimately, there's a difference between knowing about someone. You can know a bunch of facts about God, but do you know him personally? And that's really the question that, that we all have to ask. And you guys know the, the, the gospel. Many of you know the gospel. It's this, this truth that, that we are sinners falling short of a holy God, and that, that our sin separates us from God, and that the only way to fill this God-sized hole is to turn back to Christ. Because 2,000 years ago, ago, you guys know the story, God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, rise again from the dead. And he said that anyone who trusts in me can have eternal life. And that, and that idea of trusting in Jesus is, is very, very different than a lot of what a lot of people think in the world. It's this idea of, of placing your full weight on Jesus and what he did on the cross. So it's, it's like if, if I say that I believe this stage will hold me, and, and I can say, no, no, I really believe that this stage will hold me, I don't actually trust it until I put my full weight on the stage. And you could have the same analogy for a chair or, or anything that, that's holding you. It's, it's that Jesus is the one who is accomplishing your salvation. That's what trusting in Christ means. And when we trust in him, we, we talk about, and, and the Bible talks about, repenting and believing the gospel. There's that trusting piece, there's the believing. And the repenting piece, I think, is really, really important too. And the one thing I, I often ask, and this is rhetorical, you don't have to answer, just think about it, is what are you repenting from when you're saved? Because we know that after you're saved, you, you don't necessarily stop sinning and you still confess your sins. So then does every time you sin after you're saved, does that mean you're not saved? I think the essence of saving repentance is repenting of trying to save yourself. That, that if you really got down and boiled it down to when Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel, what he's saying is you have to turn away from trying to save yourself because you will never reach the standard of God. And you have to believe and trust in the gift that I offer you and throw yourself upon my finished work on the cross. And that's the gospel. That's the repenting and believing in the gospel. And the reason this is so important, the reason I'm, I'm talking about this in a marriage class, is because what happens when you come to know the Lord, when you're born again, 
is God gives us a new heart. Like, like you and I can do the things we're supposed to do for a little while. Like we can, we can follow the Bible. But ultimately, if it's just out of duty and if it's what you're supposed to do and if God doesn't give you a heart that wants to do it, it will never last. And so when we come to know the Lord, we're born again, and the Spirit of God comes to live inside us, and he changes us from the inside out. And I think that's the first thing why knowing Jesus is so important is because you want to become the husband or the wife that God made you to be. It can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And many of you know this. And I love that it talks about, too, the mercy and forgiveness here in, in your book. The gospel implications for marriage, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Because when you know how much you've been forgiven, how can you not forgive your spouse? And as, as in love with them as you might be right now, there will be times when you have to forgive your spouse. And more times when you have to ask for forgiveness. I wish my wife was here to corroborate all this. Then. I could tell you all about all the times I have to ask for forgiveness. But ultimately, there's this, there's this idea that a forgiveness problem in a marriage is a gospel problem. And so if, if you find yourself embittered toward your spouse, if you find yourself struggling to forgive, the answer isn't just trying harder. The answer is looking to the cross of Christ and trying to saturate your mind and your heart with the truth of what God has done for you. And then how... Can you not do it for your spouse? And so that, that first point under spiritual intimacy of, of knowing Jesus. And when he comes inside you, he starts to change your heart from selfishness to selflessness. The second, second piece of uh, spiritual intimacy that I, that I broke out uh, another, another piece of it is uh, uh, spiritual intimacy is continually recognizing your dependence on him. I love this verse in John 15 that's in your books where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, it's been interesting being in the pastoral ministry now for five or six years and Travis has been for, for years longer. But one of the things that I often see in pastoral ministry in the, in the Christian world is that people are very readily uh, willing, Christians are very readily willing to admit that, that Jesus saved them. They're like, yes, God saved me. He did a mighty, mighty work in my life. But then so often there's this, this underlying idea that he saved me and then he ships me off to go do it on my own. Like, okay, he saved me. Okay, good job, John. Now, now go do good, follow me, make me happy. Good luck. See ya. And I think there's this underlying assumption, and I, I don't even think many our Christians would articulate it this way, but that, that God saved them initially and now it's up to them. And the reality of what the Bible lays out, and this is the, the key thing that I want to get across with this dependence piece is that God not only is the primary agent in saving us, he's the primary agent in our sanctification, in our growing to be more like him. And, and so, so my plea this morning, if, if you can come away uh, with anything from this point, is don't leave God out of your sanctification. 
Meaning you, you are struggling to, to forgive your wife. The first place you go is to your knees and say, God, I need a changed heart. Like I'm bitter at my wife. I wish she would have been doing this and this and this. And, and I know I shouldn't be like, God, I need a miracle. And there's, there's a, this concept in, in theology, and you've got to hang with me here, called, called primary agency and, and secondary agency. And, and I think this is really, really important for Christians to understand because so many of them don't understand this. And it's this, it's this idea that every good work that you and I do is, is actually ultimately from God. James says that every good thing comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. That's why it's called the fruits of the Spirit and not fruits of our good work. That it's God who is ultimately working in each of your lives and my lives with every good thing. And you see it all over the Bible. You see, I was just uh, in Samuel, 1 Samuel. I have to record a video on, on God's sovereignty tomorrow. And I was going through First and Second Samuel. And you see over and over again, you see this. David and the Israelites won the battle, but God gave the victory. Like there, there's, this, there's, this, there's this, yes, there's a very real part that we play, but also it's God that's ultimately granting that power. You know, like we might, like a light fixture might, might play an integral role in, in giving off light, but it's got to be plugged into the power source, or else it'll never be able to turn on. And we see this over and over in Scripture. We see Paul talking about in Corinthians of, I worked harder than all of them, yet it was not I, but Christ in me. We see in Galatians 2.20 about how the life I live in Christ, it's, it's now Christ in me, he says again. And First Peter talks about how uh, let, let the words that we utter be of the utterance of God. Let, let him who serves serve in the strength that God supplies so that in all things God might get the glory. And so, so what I'm laying out for you is a biblical foundation of keeping God in your personal and marital growth. Like, don't, don't ever let him leave that. Don't ever let yourself be tempted just to try and do this on your own. But he is the one who ultimately brings about every good thing you see in your own life and in your marriage. And so that dependence is so, so important. Uh, the, next, the next piece of this is the third and final piece of the spiritual intimacy is growing in spiritual intimacy his different daily provisions and gifts. This is essentially, how, how do we become more like Christ? And there are things, and you guys know this, we've been around the church for a long time, there are many things that God uses as means of grace for us to grow in Him. You know, one of the, one of the questions we ask, okay, God, well, what's the best way to grow in you? And so, Scripture reading and in Bible study. And I hope when you, when you go into the Word of God that it's not just behavior modification you're looking for. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not just, well, how, how do I do better? What, what rules can I find out? But what Scripture is, and I hope you guys realize this, is it is God telling you who He is. Like, we talked about those love letters that Travis mentioned. Like, this, this is a letter from God saying, this is who I am. Know me. Get to know me. And so I hope you, when you get in the Word, that you read with that attitude of not even behavior modification first, but first, Lord, I want to get to know you more. And the more you get to know him, the more your heart is transformed 
be like him. The second piece is, is prayer. That's just us talking back to God. We hear from God in his word as we read his letter to us, just like I would read my letters from Erica back when we were first dating. And then prayer is just responding back to God and talking to him. The church, I think, is so important to be a part of, and I know many of you are part of this church. And whether you stay here for a while, whether God brings you around the nation, around the world, I don't know where you're going to be in 10 years. I hope you always value the body of Christ. Because it's hard to love the bridegroom if you don't love the bride. And I don't know if you guys know that, but in, in the Bible, the church is called the bride of Christ. And, and, the, and Christ is referred to as, as the bridegroom. And so it's this picture of, of, of marriage is really what it is, of, of, of Christ and, and his bride, and he's purifying her, and someday we'll all be at the marriage supper of the Lamb on that last day. And so what I always say is if, if you don't love, love the bride of Christ, you probably don't love Christ very much. Like if someone started taking pot shots at my wife, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be very happy with them. And I think about Jesus, you know, those who, who take pot shots at the church, and we're, we're a bunch of sinners, just saved by grace. But I hope you love the bride of Christ and love being in Christian community and building up the bride of Christ even as a couple. The next piece is community. I think of that more as, as just wise counselors. Troy talked about it this morning if you were in the service. The wise counselor, who's in your life encouraging you and giving you wisdom? The next one is service. And I, I think of what Paul said in Acts, that it's more blessed to give than receive, that, that the most miserable people in the world are those who are selfish. The more we give, the more joy it is. Blessed means happy, happy. Happier are those who give than receive. And so I, I hope you're serving as, as a couple. I hope you're, you're going on mission as a couple because it will help draw you to God. It will open your eyes to the world around you and to see reality as God sees it. And so these things, different things you can do, you also, obviously know journaling, worship, family devotions, evangelism, fasting, all of these, all of these different what are usually called spiritual disciplines and, and the one question that I wanted to ask, I didn't want to just leave you with, well, here's what to do. Do this, 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 and this, and a list of rules. What I, what I wanted to ask, and this is rhetorical again, is, is why do these things draw us to God? Meaning, if you think of the Pharisees in the New Testament, they were experts at all of these things. They're great at getting in the Word, memorizing Scripture, fasting, giving of, giving of alms, serving. All of these things the Pharisees were rock stars at in ways that probably you and I will never, ever be able to do. And so my question to us is, why did it do absolutely zero spiritual good for them? I want you to just think through this. And the reason I'm saying this is because I don't want these things just to become a duty like it was for the Pharisees in your life. The reason why I'm trying to provoke a little bit of thought here is because I think sometimes we can get into a routine of, well, I'm going to check this box, check this box, I'm done. And I think that is the essence of the answer, of why is it different what we're called to do than what the Pharisees were doing, is that the ultimate goal is not to earn favor with God, which is why the Pharisees did it, but our ultimate goal is to know God. Or said another way, Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
meaning we pursue holiness and righteousness to taste God more, to, to get a, a greater vision of God and who he is, to know him more intimately. And yet, every other religion in the world, including what the Pharisees did, they, they do things in order to earn favor with God and be seen by God. And I heard a preacher say this one way once, is that every other religion in the world does good works in order to be seen by God. Lord, look how far I walked to the mosque today. today. Look, how, look, how, look how much I gave in, in the Buddhist temple today. Look, look how much, God, I did. Are, are you happy with me now? Every other religion in the world does good works in order to be seen by God, where Christians do good works in order to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is, I know I'm diving into theology here, and you're like, what does it have to do with marriage? I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back around is that, that the ultimate goal of everything you and I do when we dive into fasting, when we get in the Word, when we do all of these things, because I don't want it just to become like the Pharisees, is that we would see Christ more clearly. If you look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is one of the key verses. It says, when we all, talking about Christians, with unveiled face, beholding, that means looking at, seeing, the glory of the Lord, Jesus, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the other. That means the mode of operation for changing your heart and mind is taking more and more of the veil away and helping us to see Jesus more and more clearly. And we see this again in 1 John 3, 2. It says, when Jesus comes back, we will be made like him because we shall see him as he really is. That, that your Time in the Word, in prayer, in, in fasting, whatever it may be, is a fight to see Jesus. And by see Him, I mean taste Him, I mean experience the fruits of the Spirit, I mean, I mean be in that relationship with Him, that, that sin clouds out. And it's not just, a, it's not just a, a list of rules we're trying to follow, but we're fighting for spiritual sight. And the more clearly we see Jesus, the more we'll be transformed into his image. I think the best definition of sanctification, that churchy word, which just means becoming more like Christ, I think the best definition is in that old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. That the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. That the more we see his glory and grace, this world will grow dim. And so as we talk about strengthening our relationship, and that there's the first piece of the vertical pursuit of, of Christ, the spiritual intimacy, is, is one, I hope you know Christ. And if you don't, I would love to talk to you, Travis, and Stephanie would love to talk to you, your table leader would love to talk to you. What does it look like to actually know Jesus and not just about Jesus? And the second piece is dependence on him. Don't, don't ever leave him out of the, of the change process of your own heart because he's the one who has to do it. And then third, that as you pursue these spiritual disciplines, and you hear it in church, right? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 right? You hear this in church. Know that the ultimate goal is not for God to smile on you and have favor on you like the Pharisees were wanting. It's not for God to see you, but it's to see God and to see Christ more clearly. And you will be transformed into that image from glory to glory, as 2 Corinthians 3 talks about. And so there's the vertical pursuit as we're talking about strengthening our relationship. 
And the more that you two move towards Christ again, the more that you'll move towards each other. And then there's a second piece, what I would call the horizontal pursuit, which is that intentional pursuit of, of the other person. Because marriage, marriage is supposed to be enjoyed. And, and it's supposed to be a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, enjoy the wife with whom you love, the life with the wife whom you love. Like this is supposed to be something that's a gift from God. I think of all of the, the verses in the Bible that talk about how blessed is the man who finds a good wife. And I, I think about how blessed I have been by my own wife, Erica. And I know, I hope she would say she'd been blessed by me. <laughs> I don't know if she's not here to, <laughs> to confirm that. But it is a blessing, and it's something to be enjoyed. But again, it's something also that has to be cultivated. If you don't cultivate it, it won't be very enjoyable for long. And so we need to keep our marriage relationship a priority, and we have to be intentional. And I, I was asking the question as I was studying this material, what does it mean to be intentional? Like intentional, intentional toward what? Because you, you can be intentional in anything without having a, a real direction for where you're supposed to be intentional. And I, the three, I see this, the, the three things that are in, in our, our book here are one is honoring one another. And you see that, honoring, prioritizing, being purposely pursuing. This honor is so important, building each other up. I think of Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 3, which is uh, in, in uh, your book a little bit later, and it's talking about considering the other better than yourself. The best marriage advice that I ever heard was, I think it was from John Piper originally, and he said this, that your greatest joy should be in the joy of your spouse. If your greatest joy is seeing your spouse joyful, you will have a great marriage because you will sacrificially give and give and give, not because you have to, not because it's a burden, but because it delights your heart to see her or him joyful. It's honoring the other person. It's prioritizing that relationship. I think of, I think of the first time when I was young when I heard that, uh, that often bald eagles will like starve one of their children and feed the other one. And I was kind of horrified by that picture. I remember as a little kid, I'm like, that's, that's horrible. They're terrible parents. Well, yeah, they're animals. They're, they're going to be terrible parents. But it, it's a picture of, of the one who you feed will grow. And so are you prioritizing your, your marriage? Are, are you feeding your marriage? And then I, that last part, are you purposely pursuing each other? And I, and I think this is a, is a great analogy that you guys see in your book about in order to, to best intentionally pursue one another, you must get rid of the foxes. And that's coming from Solomon 2.15, Song of Solomon 2.15. It says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Meaning, what, what are the little things in your marriage that are hard to see that ultimately are making a huge impact in your lives and in how you're loving each other, treating each other, caring for each other. And so I think there's, there's a number of things that we get really practical here. I think one of the big ones is, is social media. And I, I think it's huge. You know, one of the, one of the things that, that I often see um, 
in young adults, and this isn't like a rule that all Christians have to do this, but when they get really serious about their faith, a lot of them get rid of their social media. And I, that's just a trend that I've noticed. And I know I've had to do that in my own life. Because I, I, when I first became a young adults pastor here, I'm like, oh, i got to be trendy. i got to have all, all the Snapchats, Instagrams, Facebook, all this stuff. I'm like, it's not good for my soul. I finally reached the point where about one at a time, every few months, like, God just convict me, like, this is not leading you to a place that is honoring me. Whether it's comparing, whether it's lust, whether it's whatever it may be. And, and I, I've had to fully get rid of them in my life. Even though I'm a young adults pastor, now I'm disconnected from my, from my community. But my, my question to you is, not that you have to get rid of all your social media, but you need to take a good look at, is that coming between you and your spouse in any way? And first of all, you really should look, is that coming between you and God anyway? That's far more important. But that ultimately outflows into your spouse. And I, I don't know what that, what that could look like. My challenge to you, here's a challenge for you, is to do, if you can't do a month, do a week-long media fast. And just see how much closer to the Lord you feel. Like, it's incredible. You're like, wow, I'm not comparing myself to all these people. I'm not doing all these things. So my challenge to you is to try that. I would try a week-long media fast, whatever that looks like for you. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do. God's got to convict you of, of, how you of how he wants you pursuing him. But another fox that's, that's really, really... Uh, common is schedule and busyness. And you know, the thing I found out is that you can prioritize anything. That, that ultimately, busyness is... What it made that working with young adults uh, here at Grace, and a lot of them single, was that it turned out that they were the busiest individuals in the whole church. Like, just constantly having stuff on, just overwhelmed with how much they had on their plate. And, you know, I'm looking at them like, you have, you have no kids, you have no spouse, you're... You're not doing this, not doing this, not doing this. Like, how are you busy? But what I found out is that so often, this isn't universal, so often young adults, and I'm sure I was like this too, don't know how to prioritize until they're forced to prioritize. Meaning once you have a spouse, then you're like, okay, now I actually have to prioritize and cut out these other things. Once I have kids, okay, I can't, I can't go out on Friday night. My, my kid's at home. I got to take care of my kid. And so it forces them to slow their lives down. And, and what I'm just saying is that I know, I know that it can be hard, but I also know that if you prioritize something, you can do it. <laughs> it, is, it is just an excuse. I mean, just, just start by adding up all the time you're watching Netflix and on social media and just, okay, wow, that's like 30 hours a week. <laughs> just start cutting that out, whatever it may be. But that busyness of schedule will kill you if you don't prioritize that. I was, I was out to lunch a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago with a young man, young married guy, and we were talking about uh, just marriage. And I was asking him, hey, how's it going? And he was really real with me that it's been really hard um, and that they, they essentially haven't had a date night in like two months. And, um, you know, being a guy, I'm like, bro, <laughs> like, that's, that's not good. That's really not good. And he starts sharing about how um, just things are tight financially, and so he had started door dashing in the evenings to make some extra money. And so what I just talked to him about is like, you know, I think there's, there's other ways. Like, if you have to go on ramen noodles, but don't give up your date nights. Like, whatever you do, like, I'll, we'll come alongside you and help you any way you can, but whatever it takes, like, you cannot prioritize door dash above pursuing your wife. I know stuff is tight, but we'll figure out another way. And so what I just want to encourage you is that with the busyness piece is make sure you prioritize what is, what is necessary. And, and I think about like a, an emergency room, you know, the triage, what's most important? Have you triaged your life? Have you ever taken like 10 minutes and say, what, what's like the most important thing, like the last thing I ever want to give up doing? And like written out a list of like, okay, here's all the stuff I do during the week. What's the order in which I need to get rid of them from the bottom? And what can I never get rid of? Triage your life and prioritize pursuing 
your spouse. Boredom is the third one here. And what I would, what I would just say is that if you are a follower of Christ, you should never be bored. Like, like following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should never be in the sense of there are billions of people all over the world that don't know Jesus and are running straight to hell. And we're here to tell them about it. And so, like, if, you, if your life isn't exciting enough, if you run into boredom, like, talk to Travis and Steph. We're going to jump in with, with uh, missions. Come, come out street evangelizing with me. I mean, that'll, that'll be, we'll, we'll fire you up. And we'll, we'll go talk to people who don't know Jesus. And, and like, if, if boredom is something that you find in your marriage, my answer is go on mission for Christ. And, and I think it's amazing how, you know, we are the most entertained, you know, generation ever, and yet we're the most bored generation ever. It's funny how that works too. Like we're the most connected generation ever, and yet we're the most lonely generation ever, which is pervasive mental health struggles. And I think so much of it is, is because we try and, and entertain ourselves to death when God made us for more. He made us for mission and purpose and meaning that ultimately this numbing entertainment can't give us. And so that's my challenge to you, and I don't know what that looks like in your life, is, is if you find yourself bored, <laughs> go on mission. Ask Trav, how can I go on mission with you? He goes out evangelizing. You can go with Trav. He goes all over the place. He comes back to stories, which is awesome. So there's a couple more here. Complacency, I think, is a big one. It's number four. And that's just ultimately, uh, another word for that would be lethargy or apathy, just not, not caring. And, and I think one of the biggest things that is a, is a contributor to this, this apathy or lethargy is what we talked about initially was our, is our love for the Lord. That, that when we have a vibrant relationship with him, then we start to care about the things that he cares about. And so if, if you find in yourself a, man, this is just too hard, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give in, give up. And we see that a lot in marriages where it's hard and people just give up. And I think that starts with the Lord and crying out, Lord, would you change my heart? I want to care. And by the way, this is, this is, no, uh, this is no foreign thing to pastors. Like, I pray daily. I confess daily, Lord, I don't love you how I should. Like, I get in the Word. I, n- I rarely ever, when I get up in the morning, it's true confession, I rarely ever want to get in the Word. And I get in and I, I beg God, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you make this nourishing in my soul? I want to care. I want to care about my wife like I should. I want to care about my children like I should. Like I, and I'm not. Like, Lord, change me. Like, I deal with this lethargy and apathy and complacency every day. And God, by his grace, is changing me over time. But I also think it's something that I'll have to pray every single day. Like, God, would you do it in me? Change me. It's amazing how he does. I, uh, I'm amazed at how God does change hearts. My, my son, Titus, was not sleeping at all through, through the night for the first five months. And, and uh, for any of you who have kids, you know it stinks. It's, uh, it's not fun living without sleep. I think that's actually like a torture technique that keeps you from sleeping. And so God's like, babies, <laughs> babies will do that too. But we weren't sleeping and um, just fighting. And these are totally just selfish thoughts of being irritated with my wife. Of like, why can't, why can't you try this or try these more things? And just the sin in my own heart and having to confess that to the Lord and to change my heart. It was a day that every day you are, Lord, asking him to change your heart. By the grace of God, he's helped me better. And, Oh, I'm just, a, I'm just such a sinner sometimes, but God is good, and he's gracious, and he does. He answers and changes hearts, and my wife is incredible, so grateful for her. Um, but I hope in that complacency and lethargy piece, too, that when you say, you know, God, I don't love you like I'm supposed to. I'm not caring for my spouse like I'm supposed to. May you cry out to him, like, God, change my heart. The final thing, then, that here's on your sheet is, is other people that can be foxes. And you guys know this from, um, from family members. I'm sure some of you have dealt with in-laws that, that are difficult and maybe they want you over every other weekend to, to hang out. And you're like, man, I don't, we just can't fit this in. We can't, we can't work this in. And you do have to be careful. Like, are there people 
in your life that, that are pulling you apart. And with family, you've got to be really careful. You've got to honor them. You want to love them. Um, but there are sometimes boundaries that have to be set up. I think this is a really clear one, too. You know, if there's ever um, someone other than your spouse that, that you feel connected to in a romantic way. Man, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee immorality. Like, run. Like, I remember when I was uh, just dating Erica. We were in our first year. She was out in Montana. I was at the University of Minnesota. And I think there was this girl that kind of liked me. And she, she, we were talking a little bit back and forth. And then one day she invited me to play volleyball with her friends. And, like, this had gone absolutely nowhere, uh, you know, in, in the world's eyes. But I saw, like, where this could lead. And I'm dating Erica. And I just told her I can't hang out with uh, girls. I can't keep talking to you. I'm dating Erica. And, I, I, and from that point on, I have just cut off anything that's been close to stealing my heart away from my wife. Like whenever I text, I have to be so careful as you know, pastor, whenever I text my female leaders, I, I so often include Erica on that text message. And so my, my, my encouragement to you is that make sure if you ever feel your heart going that way, is to cut it off right away. And then tell your significant other. Tell them, say, hey, I, I'm wrestling with this. I've cut this off, but I wanted you to know about it. I wanted you to know about it. And so always be forthright with, with your significant other and never let other people become foxes in your life that steal away your joy and maybe even your marriage. And so wrapping up, we get to the small group questions here, is these, these two pieces of spiritual intimacy and then intentional pursuit Again, it's this idea of vertical pursuit of the Lord, which is primary, and then horizontal pursuit, which is secondary, but very, very important. And so my my prayer for everyone here as I was preparing to speak today is, is first of all, that you would come to know Jesus in an intimate, daily relationship. And not even, I shouldn't even say daily, hourly, by, by the minute that you cry out to him constantly and that he is part of your life and helping you grow and helping you change because he is the only one who can ultimately change a hardened heart. And then my hope too is that you guys chase out the foxes, whatever that may be in your life. Not only the foxes that are in the horizontal plane, but also any foxes that are keeping you from your pursuit with the Lord. So let me pray for you and then we'll, we'll jump into some small group questions. Lord, we just come before you, and I want to thank you for the gift of marriage. God, I thank you for the gift of companionship, and for support and encouragement, and for just challenge. God, that you don't let us stay the same, but Lord, that that you let our spouse challenge us and make us more like you. Lord, I do pray for each person in this room, and me included, God, that you would strengthen our relationship with our spouse or our significant other. God, that you knit our hearts together. And Lord, I pray that you would give us fresh resolve, not just willpower on our own, but true Holy Spirit conviction to pursue you and spiritual intimacy with you moment by moment every day. And then also to intentionally pursue our significant other. And God, would you show us where that's, that's not happening? God, I think of... of End of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my anxious thoughts, 
See if there's any grievous way within me and lead me in the way of everlasting. God, I want that with Erica. If there's anything I'm doing, if there's anything I'm thinking, any, any, any place I'm going that, that is hurting my relationship with her or you, God, make it known. And give me the strength to change and, and everyone here too. Lord, we love you. We praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. So here's a, a few of the table questions for you guys. Uh, the question one and two 